Hey guys, it's Doug, and this is just a quick disclaimer. In this episode, I'm talking about basements, and the word barrier comes up a lot. Generally speaking, in a basement wall assembly, there is some sort of moisture barrier that stops any moisture that may find its way through the foundation wall from getting to your insulation and framing. And then you have some sort of vapor barrier that goes on the warm in winter side of the wall assembly that stops any moisture originating from inside the house from getting into that wall assembly and condensing or condensating. I don't know what the correct word is. doesn't matter. Now, there may be times that my examples get a little confusing because these terms are so similar. And you know what? I may even mix them up myself. But that should not affect the overall message of this episode. Also, I use the word moist and moisture a lot. And I know some people don't like the word moist for some reason. So, there is that. Okay. Home Improvements home renovations, home maintenance, home repairs, and all the other challenges of home ownership. Welcome to the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Doug, and I am not a builder or a contractor or a tradesperson. I am just an average homeowner learning about home improvements and home renovations as I go. If you were drawn in by the title of this episode, well, I apologize. I wish there was only one correct way to finish a basement that everyone could agree on, but sadly and frustratingly, that is not the case. In fact, frustrating doesn't begin to describe my experience. What's a word for beyond frustrating? Here's the thing. Moisture is the enemy. You don't want a damp basement. Because then you're looking at water damage, you're looking at rot and mold. You want your basement to feel like the rest of your house. It should be dry and comfortable. But a basement is not like the rest of your house. The basement is in a hole in the ground. And that ground gets wet. And in the summer, that ground keeps the basement cooler. Which seems to be a good thing when you need relief from the heat. But it's a bad thing if warm, moist air comes in contact with the cooler surface of your foundation. You know, when you're on your patio and you're enjoying that ice-cold beer, and you get the water beating up and running down the outside of the bottle or can or glass, that's condensation. Now, imagine that water trickling down the cool concrete foundation behind your drywall in the basement. Now, I say behind your drywall because if your basement is not finished or insulated, then the circulating air will usually help that condensation evaporate before it becomes a problem, and probably before you even notice. But if your basement is finished with insulation and vapor barrier, and that warm, moist air somehow still finds its way behind all that and comes in contact with the cold wall, that condensation is Well, it's sort of trapped, and that's not good. Now remember, the ground is not only cool, but it can also be wet. And concrete is like a sponge. 
there are lots of pores that moisture can travel through to find its way into the basement. So, in the simplest terms possible, you want to keep moisture away from the foundation, but it's attacking from both sides. So, it's a losing battle, really. Now, building practices are getting better. In new construction, you'll usually have a waterproof membrane on the outside of the foundation, and that at least stops the water and moisture from getting in from the outside. But what about inside? The simple fact is that there are many different ways to finish a basement to insulate and moisture-proof. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that none of them are perfect. None. There, I said it. Because virtually every system will have some sort of barrier. But then it tries to have a way to deal with a failure of that barrier, which seems to acknowledge that no barrier is perfect. We don't want any moisture that may come in from the outside damaging our insulation or framing. So inside, we will put up some sort of barrier against the foundation. Now, the old school way of doing this is to use tar paper or roofing paper. The more modern method is to use building wrap like Tipar. And some people, like me, rely on a waterproofing paint such as Drylock, which may not be the best way to do this. Now, I have had some experience with tar paper. I tore this stuff down in my first house, and the water was dripping from the foundation behind the tar paper. I'm not entirely sure if the moisture was coming in from the outside or if it was condensation that originated inside. But whatever the case, there was moisture trapped between the block and the tar paper that was against that block. But in theory, at least, this method will keep the insulation dry and prevent damage to the framing. So you have the tar paper, which is a moisture barrier, against the foundation, then the framing and the insulation. And then we staple up a vapor barrier, 6 mil polyethylene. And we tape all the seams and seal all the edges because we don't want the warm, moist air from the basement somehow finding its way into the wall assembly. Because once it gets to the other side of the insulation, it's going to hit the cool wall. And voila, condensation. And that's a real issue because it's really hard to have a perfectly sealed wall. Any penetrations have to be sealed. That includes any holes for wires and pipes. And that also assumes that when you hang the drywall that you don't maybe miss a stud here and there and poke a hole in the vapor barrier. Or if you hang a picture. I mean, there's a lot of ways that the wall assembly can be compromised. And frankly, the tar paper isn't much of an insulator, so you can end up with condensation on the warm-in-winter side of the tar paper, which can damage the insulation and framing. In my first house, like I said, the basement had the tar paper against the block foundation. There was no insulation at all. Wood strapping was nailed to the block, and there was some sort of foil vapor barrier And then wood paneling was hung over that. So if the moisture wasn't coming through the block, it could have been condensation. The warm, moist air from inside the house found its way to the nails, 
where it condensed. Those nails rusted. The wood got wet and rotted. And because the nails penetrated the tar paper, then that could have been the route taken by the moisture to find its way behind. However it happened, the block wall was soaked. The strapping was rotting, and it was a real mess. But I suppose in assemblies where the tar paper remains intact with no penetrations, that would be less of an issue. But moisture from the outside that finds its way through the foundation can still end up trapped. You get the idea. A more recent practice replaces the tar paper with house wrap like Tipar, which is more breathable. And uh, that provides a barrier between the insulation and the foundation. Just make sure you put it up the right way with the repellent side out. Or is it the repellent side in? Might have to look that one up and then flip a coin because, you know what? I've seen it done both ways online. And actually, the smart money is on the repellent side out. I tend to put more trust in someone from finehomebuilding.com versus someone on the DIY stack exchange. The goal is to protect the insulation from any foundation moisture. The latest and greatest method is to glue up extruded polystyrene insulation boards to the foundation and then build your 2x4 stud wall in front of that. Two inches of foam board will give you about an R10, which in most places will keep the surface temperature of the board above the dew point, so condensation is no longer a concern. If you insulate the wall in front of it, uh, that would bring you up into the low R20s, which is a lot for a basement. But it's the new standard, at least in Ontario. The problem is that there are a lot of people who will then put a vapor barrier over that whole assembly. Now, it's all about how you interpret the building code, but wouldn't that create a double vapor barrier, which is something you don't want? Because double vapor barriers will trap moisture. You see, the foam board itself is a vapor barrier. And there is an argument over whether vapor barrier... I'm talking about the polyethylene um, 6 mil vapor barrier. There's a lot of argument about whether that belongs in a basement at all, regardless of how it's insulated. But that's a whole nother can of worms. With all this, you have what the building code dictates and how the building inspector interprets it. Is your head swimming yet? Because mine is. And... I'm barely scratching the surface with this stuff. The point is, these practices are based on science and on theory and on this is the way we've always done it and on technological improvements. And there's a logical reason for everything as to why it works and also as to why it will fail. And there doesn't seem to be any agreement. Typical question on an online DIY forum. How do I? And the first answer is, I would do it this way. The next answer is, I would never do it that way. The third answer, well, you know, we've always done it this other way. 
And that's usually followed by, are you nuts? That would never pass inspection where I live. Even the great Mike Holmes, Mr. Do-It-Right. On his show, Holmes on Holmes, he used three different methods to finish basements. He did the tar paper. He did the extruded foam board. And he did spray foam. So which one worked best? Were there any problems that were discovered later? Will we ever know? I would love to see him go back to some of his old projects and tear everything out and see if there were any issues with the work that he did. And that brings me to our own basement. I started finishing our basement a few years ago, and I thought I was doing things right. Now, I know as soon as I say that, plenty of people are going to tell me that I did something wrong. So, with that in mind, I worked on one wall. I painted the block with dry lock paint. Now, that is supposed to stop moisture from coming in from the outside, but it's also breathable. So, it's supposed to allow moisture to go out. How it knows the difference, I don't know. But I figured that it was at least a layer of protection. I framed the walls with blue wood. Blue wood is a treated wood, not to be confused with pressure treated, but it's, um, it's a product that was promoted as ideal for basements because it's mold, moisture, and insect resistant. Now, since then, blue wood has disappeared from the marketplace, and I apparently got some of the last stock available, which I didn't realize at the time. I insulated with rock wool, mineral wool insulation which is also water-resistant and has a higher R-value than fiberglass. I used a 6 mil vapor barrier, making sure that all the seams were taped, and I even used acoustical sealant to seal the bottom edge. The top edge was tied into the existing vapor barrier at the rim joists. And then I hung mold-resistant drywall or blue board. I thought I did everything right. Well, except in the furnace room. I should explain. The waterproofers had to cut through the partition wall when they ran their drainage channel. So, I was going to have to reframe those corners. So, when I say that I framed the one wall, it was the one wall for the entire length of the basement. I restored their partition walls at the intersections later. Anyway, For some reason, I didn't finish taping off the vapor barrier at one of the rim joists in the furnace room, and it was just kind of hanging there. I also didn't hang drywall in the furnace room either. And in the summer, I could see the condensation on the other side of the vapor barrier. It had probably condensed and then evaporated, and it was the moisture was looking for a way out. The patio is outside this portion of the basement, but about three-quarters of this wall is protected by the attached garage. And that was the part that was covered by the drywall. So honestly, I don't have any idea what was going on behind that part of the wall, behind the drywall. But like I said, it was protected anyway. But in the furnace room, because the patio was there, I wasn't sure if that was a contributing factor to the problem. But no water pools against the house. And there was no obvious sign of an actual leak. However, the furnace room was where some of the water 
was coming in when the basement flooded in the first place. We think it was coming in between the slab and the foundation, and the French drain would have solved that issue. I was sort of baffled by the whole thing. But the condensation only seemed to be present in the summer, and right now, in the spring, everything is dry. And I know everything is dry. Well, (laughs) I'm going to get into that. So I already knew that I had a problem. I just didn't know the extent of it. But when you're sitting outside on a hot day with a cold beer and you see the amount of water, the amount of condensation dripping down onto the table, well, that's a lot of moisture. The amount of moisture that I could see on the vapor barrier probably wasn't much more than that, really. So maybe just that one seam was the culprit. So that brings us to a few weeks ago. We're getting a new furnace and a new water heater, a tankless heater that will be going into the furnace room. And we had to move the partition wall so the new furnace would be easier to access. Funny how moving a wall always sounds easier than it actually is. (laughs) At any rate, I set about tearing down the old wall with the intention of rebuilding it after the installation. And that was what led me to remove a small portion of the drywall on this exterior wall. You know, the new drywall that I just hung a couple of years ago. And that was when I discovered the rusty drywall screws. The portion of the screws that had rusted was the part that was embedded into the wood, which didn't make much sense unless the wood was wet. But blue wood is kiln-dried. So was there enough moisture behind the wall that would cause the wood to get wet enough to rust the screws? Did the blue wood not live up to its promise? Just how widespread was this moisture issue that I was seeing in the furnace room? If the cause was localized to the furnace room, how far could that vapor travel within the wall assembly? Or... Could it be that it's just some sort of chemical reaction with whatever chemicals they used in the blue wood? At any rate, I wanted to see just how widespread this problem was, so I went hunting for drywall screws from different parts of this wall. The wall hadn't been painted yet, it was only primed, so you'd think the screws would be easy to find. Well, you'd be wrong. I even turned the lights off, used a flashlight shining the beam at an angle that showed every possible imperfection, and not to toot my own horn, but somebody did a spectacular job with the mud. Although at this point, I was kind of wishing that I hadn't done such a good job. Well, thankfully, that flashlight also had a strong magnet base, so I was able to locate a few screws that way. And... No matter where the screws were, they had rusted. Just the portion that was in the wood. But not in the top plate. The top plate I had reused from the previous owner's framing. That was just regular wood, not blue wood. But of course, it was also above the foundation block. And it was older, so it was obviously drier. I mean, there's just too many variables at play here. Now, at this point, I thought about just covering everything up and pretending I didn't notice anything. 
But I also took a deep dive on the internet. And my wife asked some of the guys at her job who might have some experience in this area. The only answer that we really got was that it might be bad wood. One guy had a similar problem, so he ended up ripping out his framing and redoing it. And after an unspecified amount of time, he removed one of the screws and it was okay. So there is that precedent at least. I thought maybe the guy from the insulation company would have an answer for me. And besides, I needed an updated estimate anyway. Well, he didn't have an answer either. He had no experience with blue wood, so he really couldn't comment on that. But he did compliment me on my taping job. Thank you. So according to him, my vapor barrier installation wasn't the problem either. Now, he said that he sees that sort of condensation issue all the time with that type of wall assembly. And he suggested that it may have been better to use building wrap against the foundation wall. And of course, he said that spray foam would also eliminate any moisture issues. <laughs> yeah, of course he did, because I called him primarily for an estimate for, to spray foam the other wall of the basement. As far as I was concerned, this wall was already finished, but alas, it was not meant to be. So yeah, I took this wall down completely. My beautiful drywall. And of course, now that wood is so expensive, I will be replacing the blue wood framing that I had also paid a premium for. Because my money is on a chemical reaction causing the rusty drywall screws. And if they had rusted that much in a couple of years, what would their condition be after 10? So, in consultation with the insulation company, the new frame wall will be built out two inches from the block wall. They will spray two inches of closed cell spray foam insulation and then install additional bat insulation over top of that. This is what they call a hybrid system. And frankly, there are a lot of horror stories online about where this kind of installation can go very wrong. And it usually comes down to the thickness of the spray foam. In our climate, we need about two inches, provided it's a uniform two inches. At that thickness, the temperature of the surface of the spray foam will remain above the dew point, eliminating any threat of condensation. Closed cell spray foam will act as a vapor barrier, so no additional vapor barrier will be used. The spray foam is actually the best option because there will be no air gaps between the block and the insulation. But again, there are plenty of horror stories, so my confidence level is not quite 100%. I am not saying that this is the best way to insulate a basement. And no doubt I will get emails telling me that this is absolutely the wrong way. But based on everything that I've read, this is the method that makes the most sense to me. Unless we were to go full 100% spray foam. But I kind of like the idea of the wiring behind the walls being a little more accessible. You don't have to poke and prod in the spray foam and don't have to worry about damaging the vapor barrier. It is important to clarify here that there are two types of spray foam insulation, open cell and closed cell. The closed cell acts as a vapor barrier. Open cell does not. And we will be using closed cell. At any rate, our goal is to achieve 
R23 in order to qualify for energy rebates, which will offset some of the cost of this project. But talk about a nightmare trying to sort some of the stuff out, because once again, if you ask three different people how to do something, you're going to get three different answers. But my little moisture problem has given me the opportunity to do something that I haven't really done before, and that is to see how well my work has stood up over time. Mind you, it's only been a few years. Over the years, I have ripped out plenty of drywall, but this was the first time that I have ripped out my own, and it also proved to be some of the most difficult drywall that I have ever ripped out. It turns out that I did a really good job. I'm saying that as objectively as I can. Uh, If I did a crappy job, I would tell you. And that's what makes this all the more heartbreaking because the drywall was done so well. The insulation and the vapor barrier were confirmed to have been done well, except in that one area. Now, as I started pulling out the mineral wall insulation, it was fine. And the wood framing was clean with no signs of damage from moisture. So by all appearances, I had done everything right. And all of this also got me thinking about folks like Mike Holmes who tear out something that was done wrong and then do it the right way. But it would be interesting if, say, 20 years later, we could see how the things that were done the so-called right way lasted. Or would it just be a case of, well, that's the way we did it back then, and we discovered that it had this issue, and now we do it this better way now? Because this stuff is always evolving. Now, let's be realistic here, because nobody from the most experienced to the inexperienced does anything without thinking that their way is the best way. Some may just be wrong based on their lack of knowledge, but even the very best building practices can change over time because our understanding changes. Building science evolves. I mean, let's not forget what a miracle mineral asbestos was at one time. And now there's a whole industry dedicated to its removal. I just want a warm, dry basement. Is that too much to ask? It sure would be nice if there was some consensus on the best way to finish it. Well, I have a little update to the story about my basement. As far as the moisture issue in the furnace room, I wanted to believe that it would be solved by the spray foam. And it's quite probable that the rusty drywall screws are a completely separate issue. And that multiple things can be going on at the same time. And I did get some confirmation on that. Our house is a split level. On the other side of the furnace room in the basement is the guest bathroom on the third level, which is up about four feet. Basically, the one wall in the guest bathroom, the bottom half is shared with the furnace room in the basement. The upper half is shared with the lower half of the dining room wall. And the upper half of the dining room wall is shared with the upstairs bathroom. If you can follow all that, I think I just got lost in my own house. But anyway, in the corner of the basement that abuts the bathroom, which is up four feet higher, I removed the insulation from that corner. And with it, 
came a few chunks of rotted wood from the strapping that was on the outside wall of the bathroom. And the wood was black. And it was wet. And I was able to poke my finger through the part that remained attached to the foundation. That's not good. No, sir, not good at all. Things are escalating now, spiraling out of control. After all, I was in the process of removing the rest of my basement wall so that I could reframe it ready for insulation. Instead, I was now poking and prodding around in a room on another level that I didn't plan to touch until after I retire. Now, the walls of the bathroom are tongue and groove paneling, which looks really nice, a lot of character. And I knew that as soon as I started prying at those boards, that I was getting to the point of no return. Anyway, behind that paneling on the outside wall, there was drywall. And man, was it moldy. Now, fortunately, the bathroom is right next to the great entrance, so I could easily take the damaged drywall outside immediately. The drywall was attached to two-by-two strapping nailed directly to the bare foundation. One two-by-two actually crumbled to the floor when I removed the drywall. Another one, I was able to break off a piece with one hand and pulverize it. I'll post a video of that on the show notes page for this episode. In the bathroom, the exterior foundation wall is only about half height. The upper four feet is above grade, and that's typical wood structure. Studs, sheathing, and brick. Well, under the bathroom window, that wood framing was also rotted. The framing and the sill plate. The window was going to have to be uninstalled, the bed wood would have to be surgically removed and replaced with good wood, and then the window would have to be reinstalled. And, quite frankly, that's above my pay grade. I am not confident enough to mess with the building envelope, because (laughs) what's the point of doing the repair if I don't do it right and end up with the same problem? So, I called a contractor. And in my discussions with him, I learned a few things. The repair looks worse than it actually is. I still hired him to take care of it, of course. The cause of the damage was missing caulk, at the point where the aluminum capping meets the window. And that was the point of entry for rainwater. And... That would also be the source of the condensation in the basement. And it was probably where the water was coming in when the basement first flooded five years ago. Well, one of the places where water came in. As for the screws, the drywall screws, he confirmed what I thought. That it was a chemical reaction with the blue wood and not related to the moisture issue. But yeah, a leak around a window on one floor was behind the moisture issue that I was witnessing 10 feet away on the lower level. And in case you're wondering, the home inspector didn't pick up on any of this. He just included generic advice, uh, you know, to inspect and caulk windows as part of regular maintenance. Yeah, maybe I should have done that. But he didn't say, you have this issue that needs immediate attention. He did note some water damage in the basement, but it was on the opposite side of the basement, and the cause of that was a clogged gutter that was overflowing and dumping water against the foundation. Finding and solving leaks is one of the 
biggest challenges of owning a home. Every house that I have ever lived in has had a problem with water in one way or another. It's inescapable. And in this case, there was a lot of damage that was due to something as simple as caulking. But be honest. How often do you inspect the caulk around your windows? You should probably go do that now. Finishing a basement is one of the most popular DIY home improvement projects, and it is the most affordable way to effectively double the usable square footage of your home. Whether you decide to turn yours into a family room or a guest suite or a games room, I mean, really, the possibilities are endless. You want to make sure you do it right. But which way is the right way? Unfortunately, there seems to be little agreement. And what's best now? What's best? What's the best practice today may change again in the future. Because one thing is certain. There's a lot that can go wrong. But for me, from what I've been able to glean from the many hours down the internet rabbit hole, the current best practice is either extruded polystyrene foam boards, the extruded boards, adhere directly to the foundation with bad insulation over top, or spray foam insulation, closed cell spray foam, either complete or partial in combination with bad insulation. In either case, if bat insulation is used, the jury is still out on whether a 6 mil vapor barrier will cause more problems than it solves. There are some people who will still insist that the vapor barrier on the warm and winter side is still absolutely necessary. But I don't see how it wouldn't risk becoming a double vapor barrier situation. The best we can hope for is to keep water away from the foundation outside and try to control the humidity inside and make sure that any possible points of penetration are sealed. It is a never-ending battle. And that will do it for this installment of the Thumb & Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. I hope that I was able to convey just a little bit of my frustration and confusion because sometimes the search for easy answers only dredges up more questions. So if you're confused on how best to proceed with your own renovation, realize that it's normal. And remember, despite what you research on the internet or elsewhere, it will be the inspector who you'll have to answer to. So make sure that however you choose to do your work, that it will pass his or her judgment. You can check out my past projects at thumbandhammer.com. I will be posting the progress of this new basement renovation in the coming months. And you'll also be hearing about it right here on this podcast as well, so be sure to subscribe. And if you could tell a friend, that would sure be swell. I will be back in a couple of weeks. Cheers.